It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. Jeremiah chapter 5. You see, I'm kind of trying to hesitate. I don't know if I'm trying to get, get to this or not, but verse 21 from the New International Version. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people. Of course, he's not talking about any of us, right? <laughs> who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone astray. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord, our God, who gives autumn and spring rains and season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. Your wrongdoings have kept these away. Your sins have deprived you of good. Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch men. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. They do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? Wow. Is that heavy or what? As I was praying over this, now you know why I didn't get any sleep all night. <laughs> the Lord said that we're living in such a time as this. And if he doesn't judge this world that we're living in, he's going to have to apologize to Israel and for all the things that when he brought punishment and chastisement upon them. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you see, we're not very far away from the attitudes that he's describing throughout this passage. It's amazing to me where we've come in our nation. Again, just coming off of this thing, this 40 years of ministry. Of course, you know I was a child prodigy started out preaching. As a kid. <laughs> um, you just have to shake your head, you know, and think, you know, where we are. Never would have dreamed some of the things that we're facing. Never would have dreamed that we'd have to be thinking about transgender restrooms and as my granddaughter, you know, who's she going to meet in, in this restroom or whatever. I mean, crazy stuff. That's one thing. Um, look at a world scale, you know, and just to see nations, how they're rising up and various things. I was watching as we're putting ISIS to flight now a little bit, and they're retreating some, how persecuted that area is over there. 
Syria, some of the first Christians, first Christians ever in that part of the country. And I, I told Sandy yesterday when I saw that come up, I said, that's where we need to go immediately because those people will be ready for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've had enough of this type of stuff. The harvest is great, is how Jesus said it, but the laborers are few. The harvest is great. Tremendous opportunities. We're living in a day and age like we've never, never before, facing problems and situations like never before. But for a believer, it can be an opportunity. You know why? Because we have the answer. As I was praying the other day, and I was praying for the gang problem that's in this area, and I was praying about the drug dealers that I've seen cross over from dispense to come through and whatever, and, uh, you know, just all these different things, you know, thinking that that's, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. The Lord said, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. He said, the problem's not out there. The problem's not, not the, the gangs outside the church. The, the problem's not the, the drug dealer out on the street. The, the problem's not out there. The problem's in here. Oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. The problem, is, the problem is what we're not doing in here. And it's not just us. I mean, we're standing in the gap for the body of Christ, the, the church worldwide. We've come to a place that in the book of Revelation, we see the Laodicean church, and we know that these churches, each one of them represent a a dispensation, a certain period of time. And so we can look back over history and we can see how that it represents a certain period of time. They also represent attitudes that are present even right now. You can find every one of those seven church attitudes within people, in believers. But as a whole, we're living in this time that's referred to as the Laodicean time frame where Jesus is there in Revelation 3.21. He's at the door knocking. I mean, he's outside the church. <laughs> They haven't let him in, and, and they say, oh, you know, we're, we're warm and fed. We, 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 uh, we, don't have, we have need of nothing. We've got our little routine, and, hey, we're comfortable with it, and don't rock the boat. You know, Jesus, you might well just stay out there because don't rock the boat. We've got everything just the way that we need it to, to go, and, hey, we're, we're cool. We're fine, you know. If we need something, we'll let you know. Hmm. And that's kind of where we are. We want just enough religion or whatever to maybe ease our conscience but not too much to get fanatical about it. I mean, you know, that'd just be crazy, wouldn't it? To cite Augustine, uh, the theologian back in the mid-centuries, uh, he said this, he said, talking about he, he, was, he just jotted down his confessions to God. So he's speaking to God. He said, I could not find myself, much less find you. Speaking to God, he then he goes on to say, by nature, we do not understand ourselves, nor others, nor God. We are in darkness, but we do not, uh, or we will not realize it. We're in darkness, but we do not, and, or, and we will not recognize it. We don't know that we're in darkness. He says, I can't find myself, let alone find you, God. And this is a man that's, this theologian, he wrote <laughs> commentary after commentary on the Bible, Thank God he was honest enough to say, you know, in that time of prayer, 
You know, I can't even find, where are you, God? I can't find you. I don't know if you've ever been like that before or not, maybe in your prayers. But we're living in a strange time. It's like, okay, God, why aren't you speaking? His word says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. He said, that's when I'll hear. That's when I'll, listen, that's when I'll move. When you humble yourselves, when you pray, when you seek my face, when you repent and turn from your wicked ways, then I'll, then I'll hear you and what you're saying. I, we've had the opportunity to, to go on a lot of different places around the world in missions and work in Africa a lot. And it just amazes me just to see God work and people heal. Miracles. Miracles happen. It's like, oh, my goodness. And it's just it's so exciting. And I think, Lord, why, why don't you do that in Alvin? Why don't you do that in America? He says, they don't need me there. He said, they don't need the, you know, shield of faith or the, the cross. He said, they got blue cross and blue shield. You know, they don't need me. You know, we don't need him. And that's kind of like, that's that Laodicean mentality is we don't but boy then when something does fall apart we're right there hollering and we're like where are you God when I need you and and we want him to move right then and he's like wait a minute you didn't bother any other time so what's up now you think God has an attitude like that I don't know in Peter first Peter chapter 4 verse 17 from the New King James Version Peter says this he says for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God Ouch. So before we get out here and start pointing the finger at drug dealers and gang bangers and, you know, kids in school and how bad things are here and all this stuff all around and what's going on in Hollywood and what's not happening in Hollywood and the entertainment industry and all that stuff, before we just doing all that stuff like that, hey, we need to take care of business right here. That's what the Lord was speaking to me about. You know, is yeah, praise God. We got somebody that's... <laughs> And I was, as I was praying, I thought, hmm, Lord, I never really thought of it like that. He says, well, you need to. Peter said, again, there, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do, who do not obey the gospel of God? Think about that. I mean, if it's bad for us, who are believers, and... Children of the Lord, what about those that don't know him? So what that tells me is, is that when I'm sensing, what I'm sensing right now, and God's just saying, look, you better get things lined out. You better get things taken care of. You better get off your blessed assurance. You need to get you know, busy and, and be who I've created you to be because I'm going to take care of my house first before he takes care of that. And what that says to me is, oh, my goodness, how bad is it going to be for those that don't know him. That gives me an urgency that I don't want, you know, I, we need to go out and get some people saved before that time ha- comes. Paul told Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 in the New King James Version, he says, But know this, 
that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heart, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And you know who that's talking about? Half the preachers in this world. Really. It's a sad thing. No wonder. No wonder people don't want to go to church. No wonder people don't want to go to church. It's sad. Again, just before the Lord, I, I felt a little bit of righteous indignation, if you want to be politically correct, instead of saying God was angry. But I sensed just a, a fervor, too, about it. But go back up in that original text there in Jeremiah. Remember that, that part there in verse 26? That's chapter 5, verse 26. He says, Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set up traps to catch men. Like I said, that's half the preachers that, around that, you know, the only thing that they got on their mind is building their own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. It's a sad thing. And you read statistics and, and churches that, that attendance in America, which we represent the largest body of Christians that there is, but I think the other countries are, are, are really passing us by. But it used to be that about 80% of the people, if you interviewed people, Americans, about 80% of the people would say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and yeah, I go to church. Most of the time I, I go to church, you know, back in the late 50s and 60s especially, you know, and into the 70s, you know, hey, I mean, I remember the Jesus movement, you know. I was telling Sandy last night, I said, honey, we kind of got snagged off of that, you know, that thing that was going on back in the early 70s, man. I mean, there was some revival going on. I'm telling you, man, it was good. And I thought, and I, man, I mean, we walked into that. That's why, that's why I gave my life to Jesus. That's why I gave up a, about $150,000 a year job and Sandy about a $65,000 a year job to go into the ministry. We didn't go into the ministry for money. We were going into the ministry because God got a hold of us and said, hey, I got something for you. And I thought, this is good stuff. And you know what? For 40 years, I've been looking for it to happen again. Do it again, God. Do it again, God. Do it again, God. And where is it? And it seemed like there's a dwindling. And God said, you need to take care of my house before anything like this is going to happen. But see, I, I got a stirring within me, too. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've been hearing some of these messages that God's about to do a new thing. He is going to do a new thing. And I believe we're going to see things that we've never seen before. I believe, and we've seen a lot, but I'm believing to see things I've never seen before, Brother John. I believe that God's got a whole lot more. And I believe he's just waiting, ready to pour out his blessings upon his people and upon his church. We haven't seen nothing yet, people. Nothing yet. But if we really want to see this, we better get serious about our relationship with the Lord. Get serious about this thing and, uh, so that God can move. Then will I hear from heaven and heal your land. Yeah, I looked at this. I thought, my goodness. And so I'm standing in the gap for Preachers, you know, somebody's got to stand in the gap and repent and say, Lord, forgive the preachers of this world for only thing on their mind. I mean, you read what 
Paul was telling Timothy, it's like, okay, there it is. There's the character analysis of some of these guys. The only thing that they got on their mind is try to see if they can take your money and, and whatever else that they can do. I'm sorry. If, you, if this is the first time hearing me, you need to go back and listen to some of our podcasts because it's not usually like, isn't that right, like Christian Center? Not quite usually like this. Don't apologize for it. I just want to let you know. <laughs> Who is that guy up there? Talking about all these preachers. First time I've ever mentioned anything about any other preachers. Isn't that right? LCC? But it's time to say, look, we've got to get some things straight. We need to pray for these people. Uh, you know, it, it says, among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch men. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and they have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limits. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. Well, like, that's what we're supposed to be taking care of, the orphans and the widows. And it says, and they do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I punish them for this, <laughs> declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a, a nation as this, is the question. He's like saying, you know, you're you going to tell me I shouldn't do this? <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you nothing, God. <laughs> Especially in that kind of attitude. <laughs> and... Uh, so, you know, he goes on and talking about this, and I think he's revealing what he wants to get straightened out in the house of the Lord. We can point our fingers out here all we want to, but I'm going to tell you something. You know what changes a drug dealer? Tell him, Danny Red. <laughs> Jesus. You know what changes a gangbanger? Jesus. How many former, well, I won't say drug dealers. <laughs> <laughs> gangs and whatever. I mean, you know. You, you know what? What that's what changes things. Just and we've got the answer. It's simple. All you got to do, you know, is is at, at some point in time, maybe even, even in conversation. Hey, man, have you, has anybody ever told you that God loves you, Amen. and that He's got a plan for you? Amen. Well, do you believe that? And if they said, "Well, I don't know," man, I believe it. <laughs> And just, I mean, that's, he said, well, I don't know how to lead somebody to the Lord. That's all you got to ask them. Do you, has anybody ever told you that God loves you? Well, well, yeah. Well, did you believe him? Do you believe he does? Well, I don't know. How could he ever love me? Well, yeah, you're right there. <laughs> that just shows you how much grace he has, man, to love you. But he does love you just the way you are. He loved me too. Changed me. I'm not the same. He says, I've been noticing that you're not quite like you used to be. People know. You're sitting in here, and somebody might think they've been fooling you, but they're not fooling you. You know what people, what they do and whether they're real or they're not real. You know? And so uh, there's time that we've got to get some things straightened out, people. Like I said, the, the statistics show that uh, between seven to 8,000 churches will close have in the past, the last several years, and again this year, but they said more realistically, 10,000 churches will close their doors uh, and walk out. There will be 1,000 new churches that will come along, but that's quite a deficit. And that more and more percentage, I told you a while ago, back, you know, 60s and 70s, whatever, there's about 80% people you interview, and, and they say, yeah, I'm Christian, and well, yeah, I go to church, and mama makes me, you know, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My mama drugged me to church. <laughs> she, yeah. I was, had that drug problem back in the 70s. My mama drugged me to church, man. And, uh, but, but now, guess what? What do you think the percentage is now? 
60. I got 60. We're going to date. We're going to be 20. As they interviewed, they came out with a figure of, of 40. But they said as they really looked at the hard numbers, really checking it out, it really figures out to be about 20 because 20% of people were lying. Well, yeah, yeah, I go to church. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to church. Yeah, yeah. About 20%, 20% of America. That means 80% of the people in America aren't going to church. I told Sandy, I said, can you believe that? Now, I have, I'm usually here on Sundays. <laughs> so I really don't know what all is going on out there. But I remember years ago when we used to have Sunday night service all the time. And so uh, the Lord was dealing with us about not doing that and changing it to a different time, a Saturday night stuff. And so we did that, and we changed on New Year's Eve or for New Year's. So that first Sunday night, Sandy said, well, let's go to the mall. I go, well, okay. I'm, now, I'm telling you, since the 70s, we went into ministry, and we were in revival ministries in a singing group. We were traveling around singing and preaching every night of the week. And when we're home, I mean, you know, there's something going on. I mean, Sunday morning, you had, we had uh, bus ministry. Then we had, we had Sunday school. Then we had the praise team we had to meet to practice. And we had church. And then that afternoon, we get back in, in time to, we, we would work on some uh, praise stuff. And then we'd have uh, either, it was our young singles would meet or whatever group it was early in the evening. Then have church until about 9, 10 o'clock at night on Sunday. Then Monday night, we had Bible school on Monday night. Tuesday night, we had either some kind of, department director's meeting Wednesday night was church choir practice first most of the time or, or we put it in at the end for those you know as it go on through so we got a couple of things going on on Wednesdays Thursday was cell group meetings we had to have those home cell group meetings remember when those were big things you know and Friday night what did we do on Friday night maybe that was a cell group meeting Thursday night was Bible school again Friday night was a cell group meeting well Saturday morning start off with outreach bus taking the bus out and outreach all day long and then we're going to have practice and so excuse me wait a minute did I miss a day? <laughs> Pretty much grew up in church, or just, you know, in, in church. And so when we didn't have church that Sunday night, uh, we're going to the mall. I'm going, what are all these people doing <laughs> around here? Just blew me away. I didn't, so I'm sure that that's what would happen if I was just out running the roads this morning, looking around like, what in the world are all these people doing? 80% of, the, of Americans don't go to church. Now, you see, I'm kind of strange because I really don't see that as a problem. I see that as an opportunity. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, 10,000 churches closing their doors, not us, man. And we're going to cash in on some of this big harvest crop that's coming up, man. The, the harvest is great. Of course it's great. It's getting bigger because, why? because people don't want to go to church and listen to those guys that I was reading through there that Jeremiah was describing and getting tired of being, you know, having to put up with this and put up with that and whatever. I tell people, you know, church, really church is like a family. And how many of you, you were the only child? Okay, well, y'all don't count because you won't understand a word I'm saying. <laughs> but if you had a brother or a sister, <laughs> there were times that you had a little bit of an argument, right? Isn't that Right? And sometimes in, in a church family, sometimes you have a little bit of arguments. I've had parents come to me, you know, in the youth. Well, in the, not here lately, Morgan and Sarah. But, you know, like, well, I don't know. You know, my kids and this and that, and they're having problems. Their, child, their teenager's having a problem with another teenager. And I said, that's awesome. They go, I told you I'm different. 
And, I, and they said, why is that? I said, man, this is the perfect place to have that problem. Because they've got to work that out to become adults. And what a better place than the church within these confines to work out those emotions and, and learn how to be a Christian and learn how to be an adult so that whenever they get grown out here, they're not acting like junior high kids. You know what I'm talking about? So it's okay. Those things are going to happen within the church body. But sometimes we get all upset and we think that that shouldn't happen. That everything should be perfect. But let me tell you, this, the church is full of us. And so we... <laughs> Like that one guy said, if you're looking for the perfect church, don't go, because you'll ruin it. <laughs> you'll ruin it as soon as you show up. Peter said, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. So today we're standing in the gap and say, okay, God, we're going to humble ourselves. If we didn't do it, we're going to stand in the gap and say, forgive us. Forgive the church for being stupid and acting and being greedy and just self-centered and all those things. And seek his face and say, Lord, we seek your face. We want your will. We want to hear your voice and no other voice. We don't want to hear any other voice. We want to do what you want us to do. You know, I am fully confident that God does have a plan. In fact, he tells us there, you know, it's, it's in Jeremiah, isn't it, where he says, you know, I, I know the plans I have for you. They're, they're good. They're for, and they're for you to prosper. You know, if we would just, the, the, the quicker I learned that God was really for me, not against me, the easier life got. <laughs> you know, I used, used to think, y'all, I know, y'all probably didn't do this, you know, Friday night and Saturday night, you know, when you go out, you're going to have a good time because you worked all week long and I deserve this. Like that one guy said, uh, he was thinking about that when he found himself with his head stuck down in the toilet <laughs> in the back of a bar someplace thinking, I, yeah, I deserve this. I worked hard. I worked hard for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why that one guy said, I feel better now when I feel bad than I used to feel when I felt good. You know, when you thought you were feeling good, that wasn't really it. I mean, you know, God's got something better for us than those kind of things. And so we've got to discover that. And the sooner we discover that, you know, it's not that all the problems go away. It's just that we have somebody in our ship now to help us solve the problem. It's not that all the leaks go away in our boat. It's just somebody that we've got somebody else to bail water with us in, you know, in that boat. Because problems come. Jesus told a parable about two men that built their, house, their houses, and one built his house on a rock, solid, and another man built his house on the sand. And when the rains came, the house on the rock stood firm. Yes, build it on Jesus. And when they used to have a little song for the kids on that. But here's the whole thing. You know, we're zeroing in on the foundation, and that's true. But you know what? I caught something else out of that. When the rains came, because the rains came on the house on the rock and on the sand. And that tells me that when I become a Christian, that don't mean that the rains don't ever come on me anymore. The rains still come, but the good thing is, is I got a foundation that I can set my house on that when it gets bad, I'm still going to stand. When I get sick, I've got somebody I can go to. When I don't have enough money, when there's too much month and not enough money, I can say, hey, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And if I hadn't done something stupid, he'll say, okay, let's work this out. Now, if I got myself into that mess, he'll say, okay. 
you know, Lord, I got this mountain of debt out here. And, and you said, speak to that mountain, and it'll be removed. And he said, okay. And so he gives me a spoon. <laughs> yeah, move that mountain. <laughs> and you got anything bigger up there, like a couple of angels on some front-end loaders or something? No, you made this mess. You're going to clean it up, you know. <laughs> I mean, God's like that. It says that he chastens those that he loves. So all your problems don't go away. You just have somebody to to walk with you and talk with you and help you get through these things. And, you know, the sad thing, the saddest thing in this whole bit is, is that it's been churches that have been driving people out of churches. And that's sad. And, and we've got to take care of that. We've got to do a better job of that. Attendance is down. And, and you know, the shop talk, you know, around pastors and, and churches are, man, we're just trying to survive. We're just, we're just trying to survive. And, and it's like, you know what? Wait a minute. I don't want survival. I want revi- revival. That's what I want. I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to get into to survival. I want to get into re- revival. That'll change everything. It's just amazing how God can do those things. It doesn't make sense to us, but he can do that. And I want to tell you, when, when he lights your fire, you know, and you just believe that he can do it, it's just amazing how you don't worry about it. And when you see him do that, and Emily, when your husband sees his wife laying on the operating table having brain surgery, if he don't have somebody to go to, pretty tough, huh? How long ago was that? In the 2014, so three years. They didn't give you much hope. Well, look at you standing up here on the front row of the church. Like that old Danny Red back there, they gave him about 8% chance, I think it was. He, he, looked, like, he, he looked like our Royal Ranger shirts, just a khaki color. Sandy and I driving to the hospital to go visit him, and right there, and we're just praying as we're going, and the Lord just spoke to both of us, he shall live and not die. Oh, really? Hmm. Go speak that over him. He shall live and not die. Do we need to ask the nurses and stuff to get out so they don't think we're crazy? (laughs) And of course, you know, he wasn't in a private room. What's up with that? At the Methodist Hospital? I mean, most ICUs or CCUs, they got these private rooms, but he's in this ward. It looks like it's about as big as this whole room. You know, everybody's standing around, running around. Okay, well, honey, we're going to pray for him. We didn't. We prayed. And I mean, we were praying, and we said, Danny, Red, you shall live and not die. And you know what he did? Nothing. (laughs) Boy, that makes you kind of wonder, okay. Can you squeeze my hand or something? Not a thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, wouldn't it be great on those, some of those stories like, you know, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, nothing. But we come out and said, we're believing. And I think it was, wasn't it down to about 8% or something like that that they, you know? Oh, how long ago was that? 14 years, yeah. Now, I just love it when God proves the doctor's wrong. I've, I've had a lot of that in my life. And God wants to do that. He loves to do that. He wants to do that. He's going to do that. He's going to do that and more. We just got to get our act together a little bit here. And so, you know, the Lord said this, the greatest problem that you're facing is not out there. It's right here. It's what's not happening here. So, Lord, what needs to happen here? 
we need to commit ourselves to the Lord. We need to step over the line and say, here I am, Lord. You know, he's not asking anything too hard. He really isn't asking. You know, I used to think, well, you know, man, I, I could sense the Lord dealing with me, you know, and I was trying not to even acknowledge it and all that stuff, you know, and, and I was thinking, man, I, I got to, you know, I want to, I got this bucket list, you know, and I'm like 19, 20 years old, you know, and I'm getting old real quick. I'm going to be 21, man. I mean, life's over after that, you know, wow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, because if, when I commit my life to Jesus, then that's it, that's it, you know. It's all over but the crying, you know. There's no fun after that. Man, was I wrong. Wow. I tell you what, you walk down the streets from Mombasa heading out to where there's a church we're supposed to go to, and an Al-Qaeda post is right there, and these guys follow you down to the meeting, armed. That gets, that'll get your heart pumping. Asked Tony Cundiff, him and Pam was with us walking. He told me later on, and this is a guy, <laughs> well, the horse threw him off. His horse threw him. He got up and he hit the horse, knocked the horse down. <laughs> he told me, he said, I've never been so scared in my life. I said, well, you know, I was just doing a little praying. And we got up there, and here's this meeting. There's so many people in there. They're outside the walls, and, and here these guys come in, and they, didn't, they weren't there to have church. But I want to tell you something, man. And, well, there's a whole lot to that story. But anyway, the Lord worked that out. And, and God spoke to me to pray for every person there. And I thought, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. This is going to take forever. We don't do this, do we? Do we do this? Yeah, we're going to do it tonight. <laughs> okay. Here we go. And, I mean, people, the Lord was just moving. And people were getting healed. And it's, I mean, it's like, this is cool. I, thank you for letting me see this, you know, as I'm praying for people. And guess who's in line? Here comes those guys, and at least two of the, the Al-Qaeda members. And so, you know what? Man, by this time, I am pumped up with the Holy Ghost. You know, that's what they used to say in the old days. Now we politically correct it's the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Ghost was on me there in Africa, and I, and I was praying. And he came up, and man, I grabbed a hold of him. Me and the Holy Ghost grabbed a hold of him and prayed. And I don't know, later on, I saw him out talking to our driver, and he was asking him some questions and stuff. And so I was kind of wondering now what's going on. The anointing's gone now. So now I'm kind of like, ooh, I wonder what's up. <laughs> you know, and uh, he said, our driver said, he came over and said, who is that guy? And so he said, oh, just some preacher from Texas. I never say I'm from the United States. I tell him I'm from Texas. Everybody loves Texans. They don't like America very much, but they love Texas. <laughs> uh, that's right. Been to five continents, and that's one of the ways you... Always come back as <laughs> you're going to be Texan. <laughs> but anyway, so he told him, he was some, I'm some Texan. He says, what did he do to me? He says, well, what do you mean? He says, I don't know what happened. He said, but all of a sudden everything got hot. And he says, from the time I was 14 years old, he said, I had a really bad accident with an axe. He said, I cut my, my foot down through here. And he said, I, I could hardly... Uh, walk and he says I felt this heat go through me from my head all the way through and he says and my my leg my foot is fine he says who is that guy he said he's just some preacher from Texas <laughs> so when he comes well I come over and kind of see what's going on you know because I'm uh, I want to check this out is this guy did this guy get saved or whatever you know it's amazing how God will do that I pray over the dearest little old saint that's you know been around serving Jesus all of her life and it's like you know, and here this guy, 
he gets healed. <laughs> but anyway, so I go check, and so he's looking at me like he, you know, he's not sure if he wants to be close to me. I said, you know, so talking and the guys are translating for me and everything. And so I asked him if he was, uh, if he received Jesus and he didn't know, but he didn't know what happened. And so he began to ask. And he said, who are you? And I said, I'm just some preacher from Texas. <laughs> and so led him to the Lord. And I want to tell you something, we didn't have any problem with Al-Qaeda after that. And they couldn't do anything while we're there. The Holy Spirit suppresses. But people, you know, your life's not over when you become a Christian. It's just starting. God wants to show you what he wants to do with you, what he can do for you. It gets exciting right after that. Amen? This um, Dr. Rex Edwards, he wrote a book. This book is uh, Every Believer is a Minister. And he, he... This is some of his words he wrote. We sing the words of the hymn, Onward, Christian Soldier, and wait to be drafted into his service. We sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues, but don't use the one we have. We sing, Serve the Lord with gladness, yet we complain when someone asks us to do something. Yeah, I think that's right. Jeremiah back there, verse 30 in Jeremiah 5, our text Horrible and shocking things has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? That's how he ends that whole passage. But what will you do in the end? You see, it comes down to this. We can point our finger like, well, you know, uh, I, I didn't go to church because uh, so-and-so, you know, this and that. And, and this preacher did that or uh, this lady did that or some guy, whatever. You know, somebody did something. I'm, I was there. We thought, well, I wasn't going to go back to that stupid church. You know, that guy told me I smiled too much. Something, something like that. I don't. So after a whole day of putting up siding, driving nails with a 20-ounce hammer, at the end of the day, I was driving them suckers clear through that wall just about. Came home and told Sandy, we ain't never going back there. I just sat home, have church myself. You ever done that? Isn't it amazing how we think we can be God? <laughs> I'm going to have church myself. Oh, yeah, right, okay. It did say when any two or three are gathered, I'll be in the midst. I didn't say nothing about you. And, and, you know, that didn't last very long because, you know, I just got worse and worse because I had bitterness in my heart. And, you know, every, you think that when you think that you're just going to go do your own thing because you're mad at somebody, you and God's fine, but it's that person. That's what I was telling God. Well, me, we're, we're cool, God. It's, it's that guy right there, you know, that did that. And he said, well, let me just ask you something. If he, that idiot that you're saying he is, if that idiot, that your, your words, not mine, if that idiot is standing between me and you, God's saying this, guess who's closer to me? <laughs> uh, uh-oh, wait a minute. That ain't, is that the way it's supposed to be? That's not the way it's supposed to be. Wait a minute. And, you know, I didn't get better. I just got bitter. Until I had to come back and repent. I've seen it time and time again. People get mad at this person, that person, or the church, or this, or that. You know, the whole thing is really what it is is that we're mad. We, we don't want to get mad at God because we know better than that. But really, isn't that what it is? Because, see, the church represents God. The preacher is that, you know, he's the representative for here in some form or fashion. So we're just going to get mad at them. We don't know exactly what happened, but we'll find out something if we have to make it up. But. And so in the meantime, we're becoming part of that 80%. I'm not hollering at anybody today. I'm just trying to say, you know what? We need help. We need to look at this thing honestly and say, man, we've been missing it. We've been missing it because the devil came and deceived us. 
And, and we got to looking at somebody rather than looking to Jesus. And the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated, set down by the Father. That's what Jesus did. We need to look to him and don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Wow. Amen. I don't know why I put these notes down here. I was half, I was half awake. You know, every, everywhere today, corporations, um, everybody's looking for somebody, right? You know, I mean... Um, Major corporations are looking for college graduates. The, the Army or the, the Marines are looking for a few good men. And, you know, the Army, they're looking to, what is their little slogan? Uh, and we're, they're looking for somebody to, to be all you can be. And um, the Navy, you know, they're looking for those who, who want not just a job, an adventure or something like that. That's their, their sl- you know, I was in the Air Force. So the Air Force, they're looking for those that want to aim high, you know. I don't know what the Coast Guard has. But, you know, everybody's looking for somebody. But the whole point is, is that, you know what? God's looking for us. Because Jesus looked, he says, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest and that he might send forth laborers. And so Jesus is looking for someone. You know, hey, let me tell you something. Talk about an opportunity. Jesus is looking for somebody. He's wanting to enlist somebody. Well, now, see, there you go. That's that's what I'm talking about. I don't know about this stuff now. About, you know, I don't know what all he's got in mind. I just might not be able to do that. Well, of course you won't be able to do that. If you could do it, you wouldn't need him. But what's so cool about it is when you know you can't do it, and then all of a sudden it happens, then you have no... Nobody else to turn to and say, wow, God, that was really cool. And then all of a sudden this boring Christian life gets really exciting. You know, I mean, if your Christian life is boring... Get out on the streets. That's the, supposed to be the title of this message. Get out of the seats and into the streets. You know, just let's go down next Saturday. Let's go down and feed the homeless and, and go around and talk to some of Go do something in Jesus' name and get excited about it. Go take some groceries to somebody. Go to the hospital and visit somebody. Go hang out with the Royal Rangers and see these boys' lives being formed and, and changed. You know what? Something will happen to you, and you begin to get a little bit excited. And you think, you know what? You know, my life was a little bit boring, but it's getting a little bit better. Of course it's getting better because you're starting to walk into purpose. And we all got to have purpose. But our problem is, is that we think we know what our purpose is, and then we go through life not knowing what our purpose is. You get that? <laughs> And we're always wondering, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And you end up retiring not knowing if you did what you feel like you wasted all your life because you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And here it is. And Jesus is just standing there and said, man, the harvest is great. The labor is free. Now, I'm not much of an agriculture. I wasn't in FAA or, is that it? That sounds like people that control airplanes. FFA. I was a control tower operator for the railroad, but FAA might have something to do with that. But FFA, I wasn't in FFA. I was in 4-H. But I don't know much about agricultural stuff. I don't grow a lot of stuff. But I do think I know this much. When he says harvest, I think harvest is out there. I don't think it's in here, you know. And so that means that we've got to get out there to get to the harvest. I know you work with somebody that's their marriage is 
in a strain. Or their spouse is going through chemo treatments or having this or that. Or their teenage daughter just found out she was pregnant or something. I mean, you can't live in this world and not have someone around you have some problems like that. Is that right? Is that right? How many of you would say, yeah, you know, there's somebody close or around that's got some problems, either health, financial. You know, didn't we, three apartments burn out over here in Alvin the other day? I don't know. Did we, we ought to get some stuff? Have they got everything they need? You know, trying to help. I don't even know who they are, but see, that's what we need to know. You say, well, I just don't know. I, I can't preach. I can't teach. The, and I, Can you drive a truck? Can you drive a truck? See, we need somebody to drive a truck and take five loads of, we had to take five loads of, of uh, toys that were made, wooden toys that Eddie, t- a couple of guys come by the lumber yard and get the scraps and they make toys. And so we needed somebody with a truck to go down to the burn center. And you know what? You say, well, is that serving Jesus? <laughs> Absolutely. And when you walk in there and you see these kids and they're, you know, and their little burned faces, they, it just hurts them to smile, and they start to smile. we got some pictures with some of them. We've been down there. And you see them just like, you know, somebody thought something and brought me something. If that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, there's just endless things to get involved with. We haven't been to that, the church. Well, I don't know if they moved them. They used to have that, that church under the bridge up there in Houston. We used to go up there about once a month. And then they had some city ordinance that so they couldn't do that. Yeah, and we couldn't even take many sandwiches. Or so. But there's plenty of stuff to do. You know, we need some people that know about technology. <laughs> you know, help me with all these questions that's coming in on my cell phone. and <laughs> Figure out how to do that. And we got a podcast that like 2,500 people listen to a week going around the world and countries that, and hey, we need to probably get better at that. I don't know nothing about that. You know, and there's so much stuff we're living in a day and age that, you know, it, it's not like it used to be. And Jesus needs you. You say, well, he created you. He designed you. He knows exactly what he put into you and he knows what he can bring out of you. And all we got to do is just say yes. You know, he, he, Jesus is looking for somebody that's, that's involved in, that, that, that's, that's ready to get involved in the come and go. The come and go. And that's how simple the thing is with the Lord. He says, come, follow me. I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, you think you're having fun now? Catching fish? And they, they got that, you know, they, were, they didn't catch anything, anything all night. And he says, hey, throw your, your net down on the other side of the boat. And they're like, who is this guy? He ain't no fisherman. He's a carpenter. I can tell by the way he's dressed. He ain't caught no fish in his life. Out here telling me to throw my net down on the other side. Who did he think he is? Oh, is that you, Jesus? Okay, well, it's your word. We'll throw it down out there. You know, We don't want to embarrass him. And they can't get it in. They got to call for another boat. Both boats about to sink. And they're all excited. Yeah, they're making money. They're excited. They're going to sell them fish. And they're excited. Wow. He says, let me tell you something. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That ain't nothing. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. What he wants to do in our everyday life will blow your mind. When you see people's lives changed in front of you, there's no money that can buy that. Hmm. You say, well, how, you know, how, uh, how much time I got to put in on this thing? 
your life. I ain't going to beat around the bush. This ain't no weekend warrior thing. This is a 24-7. When I first went to, to basic training, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I was on guard duty or something. I had this epiphany. What do you call it when it's like this awakening? <laughs> I'm in the army now. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know what? I don't belong to me. You know, I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to, and all of a sudden now I'm realizing they got me. They own me. They, they, they tell me what I got to wear. They, you know, I eat what they fix me. I do what they tell me to do. And uh, here I thought I was, you know, just, you know, this is all about me. And then you figure that up 24-7. And you figure out your hourly wage on that. It came up about 20 cents. <laughs> you know, something like that. When they got you for 24 hours a day. You know, well, let me tell you something. You're, when you belong to that army, you belong to them. You know, because they might need you at 3 o'clock in the morning. When you give your life to Jesus, you might have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I ain't going to mess around with you. Happened to me many times. But you know what? I can remember almost every one of them. And it's amazing what I saw God do at a hospital at 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow, I turn around and say, Thank you for waking me up for this. <laughs> thank you for getting me out of bed. That's a big job, getting me out of bed for this at 3 o'clock in the morning. But thank you for doing that because it's amazing what he wants to do. You know, if it's of no cost, it's of no worth. He said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll show you how to change lives, not just for today, but for all eternity. One day, you'll be walking through eternity and somebody's going to come running. Hey, 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 hey. I mean, I'm so glad I tracked you down. I've been looking all over heaven for you. Wow. Thank you for taking the time to just listen to me. It changed my life. Changed my life. Uh, Daryl tells a story about him and was it Danny and the guy... He had a gun. He was getting ready to commit suicide. He got a text message from Daryl saying, hey, man, we're going to bring you some food. Wow. Yeah, ain't no, that ain't no big thing. That ain't no big thing. That's just somebody's life. You know, that's what God can do, and that's what he wants to do. He said in Luke chapter 14, see, that's the come. Come. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come hang out with me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then he trains us, awakens us a little bit. And then he says, go. Go. Go into the highways and hedges. Or I like the way the NIV says it. Go into the county roads. That's the CR 528 and <laughs> CR 518. I never figured out how they got that. I think if it's 518, this ought to be 519, but it didn't work out that way. He says, go, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Everything you got, compel them to come in. Make them come in. He said that my house will be full. God wants to do something. I, I think that the time is so close. I, there's an urgency. As I read what Paul wrote to Timothy about in the last days, we're living in the last days. I, I really believe it. I mean, prophecy is being just every day it's coming alive from what's been written in, in the Word. Just watch the news and you see it. Just, you, know, I, you don't have to preach it. Turn on the news. I can record the news. Bring it up here and say, okay, here's the scripture. Now watch this clip. It's happening. It's happening. And Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. He says, when I come, I'm coming quick. We don't know the hour or the day that he's coming. 
And he says, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Get them into my house because the time, there's not much time left. There's not much time left. There is not much time left. What will you do if you end up in heaven? And, you know, there's a, there's a passage of Scripture that says, and there was 30 minutes silence in heaven for 30 minutes. One guy said that's because all the women weren't there yet. And I don't believe that. That's not, no, no, not me. That was somebody else. I know that's what I told him. You shouldn't be talking like that. I'm going to tell them women they're going to get you, boy. But the way, all right, now back serious. Um, But where that's set in there in in Revelation, it's that, you know, we have this, the believers are there and they're looking down on what's taking place now when the wrath of God is being poured out on mankind that, had, that are lost, that never received him. And I think that that silence in heaven is because it's like just devastated, just thinking, oh my goodness. What will you think when you see someone that you knew and you didn't talk to them about Christ you didn't just ask him that simple question. Hey, has anybody ever told you that God loves you? And he's got a plan for you. You didn't just, that simple, you didn't ask them, and now they're going to spend eternity in hell? Yeah. There's no words to say when you start to see something like that. People, we have a responsibility. We have an awesome responsibility. You know, you say, well, you're the preacher. You go do it. <laughs> Believe me, I'm, man, I'm, I love it. I'm going to be out there. And... Uh, but see, it's not just preachers. It's everybody. It's everybody. And that's what we're called to do. Get out of the seats. Get into the streets. You know, when we come in here, this has been different this morning. We're just having a little talk, okay? And, uh, but we come in here and we get refreshed. We get healed, set free, whatever, from all the things, you know, going living in this life that we're living in. And we get connected again with one another and with God so that we can go out those doors and we can get back in. It's like, it's like, a, ha- it's like a locker room thing. It's like a halftime because we know we got, we got the rest of the game to play when we get out there. And I need, you know, I need a drink of water. I need to take, you know, I need to be refreshed a little bit. And so that's why I come to church is to be refreshed. I want to drink of that living water that, that's Jesus and, and be refreshed because I'm going to walk out those doors. I'm going to get out of the seats. I'm going to get out to the streets and I'm going to watch for an opportunity to see if I can see a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it. You know, our little thing, uh, like Christian Center, is people touching people. Well, so here's this thing. How are we going to do this? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're supposed to win all the world. Well, what are we up to? About 7 billion now? And that's going to be a little tough. And if y'all don't help me out, that's really going to be, really going to be tough. But here's the great thing about it, see? We don't have to worry about that part of the world. We just need to worry about this part of the world. He said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the world. Jerusalem came first. Home came first. You don't need to try to go across the ocean until you can step out your front door and talk to somebody. Ain't nothing magical about salt water. We need to, where we're planted, we need to be able to be a witness right where we are. And here's the thing. If each one will reach one I don't think y'all got that. I mean, I think they're going to get it. These are, they're smarter. If each one will reach one. Come here, Roberta. Come on. So I reach Roberta. All right. You know God loves you and he got a plan for you. All right. That's great. Hey, go find somebody and tell them. 
Come on, Jeff. Hey, man, how you doing? Come on, come on up. Come on up here. Yeah, we're, we're reaching. We're reaching. We're, we're, we're getting them in. We're bringing them in, man. And so, so hey, man, and that's, that's great, right? All right, now let's all go get somebody. Let's go reach somebody else. Everybody get one and come back up. Come on. Now, look how fast we've done that. Well, we got one, two, three, four, five, six. We started out just me and Roberta, and now we've got six people up here. Isn't that amazing? In just about 15 seconds. What do you think? You think that would work? You think it would be worth it? <laughs> y'all can sit down now. Y'all having way too much fun now. <laughs> I know better to get this guy started. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I invited, when I was younger, I invited my friend to go to church. Oh, my goodness. I was thinking, I hope they don't get acting silly right now, you know, start getting loud or up there dancing with banners or something, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Joe is my best friend, man. But I just, I couldn't sleep at night. I needed to ask him, hey, man, you want to go to church with me? Oh, yeah, sure. I nothing else to do. And you know what? When that preacher said, everybody bow your head and close your eyes, I'm kind of doing this. And man, when I, began, when I saw that tear run down Joey's face, his dad owned the, the fishing barge at Soldier Creek, Lake Texoma. That's where we lived on Lake Texoma. Man, we caught a lot of fish together. We rode motorcycles together. We, we'd done a lot of stuff together. We tight. But when that tear rolled down his, eye, his face, I got to tell you, maybe you can tell, I still get a little emotional about it, but I thought, man. And it's like the Lord said, if you hadn't invited him to here today, where would he be tomorrow? Another friend that came with me, his name was Bobby. We were exactly one month apart. His birthday was May 28th. Mine was June 28th. And we rode motorcycles. Well, he was on a Kawasaki, whatever it was back then, big one. He'd come to church with me. Bobby Graham. Bobby got saved. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Mm, I'm probably going to have to start acting different around these guys now. Well, Bobby was on his Kawasaki, came around the curve and a lady she was coming the other way hit him head on took him off that motorcycle if that didn't kill him when he hit the stump that was on the side of the road that did and his life was over I'll never forget I had just gone to Topeka Kansas to a camp meeting there it was in 1970 where I met her but I remember getting a call that Bobby had gotten killed. And see, I had gone up to this church camp, and I'm going to tell you something. That night at that altar, it was different. Because I got to thinking, you know what? If What if I hadn't invited him to church? What if he had never given his life to the Lord? Now, Joe is still alive. He lives up in Porter, Texas right now. He's saved. You know, I, you don't ever know. You never know. You never know if you're going to be the one that gets a head-on collision. You never know. But I have this assurance. 
And man, when I hit my knees that night at that altar, and I was thinking about his sisters and thinking about Bobby. And God said, well, you're going to see him again because you know he's in heaven. I said, that's right. He said, now then, who else are you going to tell? Who else are you going to tell? Because you never know. Come on. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. You know, just those two stories, that had an impact on my life. And I still get excited when I see somebody accept the Lord. It never changes. The greatest thrill that you'll ever have, I think, in your life is when you know somebody makes a decision for all eternity. For all eternity. I mean, man, that's, that's like home free. I mean, and they're saved. So then what do you do? When Joey, after Joey, I went and got Bobby. After Bobby, I said, you know what? I'm going to get somebody else. And the next night at that altar service, instead of being down on my knees just moping because I lost my best friend, I decided I'd just go pray with some people, make sure they were saved. And you know what? Maybe it started then. Maybe that's where it all started. I don't know. Now, don't take that story and interpret it that if you decide to go witness somebody, you're going to be a preacher. <laughs> no, I don't think the Lord needs too many more preachers, but I tell you what he does need. He needs you right where you are because you'll reach people that nobody else will reach. I'm going to pray with you and get you out of here because we've got to go on. But this is just, I don't know what this was today. But you need to come back because we've got some really important stuff to talk about. I could preach. I've got in my office, after 40 years, I have preached through the entire Bible, every book in the Bible, taught every topic I think that there is. Charlie's heard me probably from the first, one of the first messages in 1977. Would you agree to that, Charlie? He's still listening to me. Isn't that amazing? Now, that man has got more tolerance. But people, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not here to just preach messages. I want a word from the Lord that's going to catch us and set us on the path that we need to be on. And so I wanted to talk to you this morning just to share with you what he kept me up all night to tell you. And that is, get out of the seats. Get into the streets. Somebody needs you. If not you, who? If not now, when? It might be a, a child. You know, it might be my child. You might can, you can probably reach my child better than I can reach my child. I need you. <laughs> you need me. We all need each other. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And you don't have to be, you say, well, I'm not real outgoing. Good. <laughs> Good. Just be you. That's who God created. He created you to be you, to reach who you can reach. So don't worry about all those things. All you've got to be concerned about is just saying yes. Yes, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. All of me. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm across this line, man. I'm all in. Now, you can use this. I know you're God. <laughs> can we pray together? Are you mad at me because it's eight minutes after 12? I just saw the clock. They need to get a bigger clock. 
Well, let's pray. Thank you for coming today. I don't think it was an accident. You thought you were coming to see your niece, your granddaughter, your, your child. And God said, ah, remember, he's a fisherman. Morgan, he knows how to use the right bait. And what God wants to say to you today is what he ended that passage there in Jeremiah. What will you do in the end? Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not trying to be heavy here, but this is the truth. We're all going to stand before him. And we're all going to have to give an account. And it talks about some standing before him ashamed. And what that reminds me of is when I stood before my father and I had done something wrong and I had this closed tunnel vision that seemed like everything else just disappeared and I came like that and I thought, oh no, he caught me. He caught me. What a horrible feeling. Y'all probably never had that happen. I don't want to stand before God ashamed that I wasted my life. What, what I'm going to sing one of them songs, I did it my way? Really? But to stand before him, and it's not how much, it's just obedience. So, with your head's bowed this morning, your eyes closed, nobody looking around. I don't know where you are. You know, and there's people that they maybe make a profession and say they're a Christian and they can go through their whole life and it's just a it's not a heart relationship. It's just a head knowledge. They never really committed their life to Jesus. You know? I mean, there's those that, that Jesus, at the, at the end, they say, Lord, Lord, we cast out devils in thy name. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. So, you know, just hanging out in church don't make you a Christian. Hanging out in church isn't going to make you holy. I mean, there's some unholy people in church, <laughs> in case you didn't know that. <laughs> But what the difference is, you'll know it. It's when you say yes. So let me ask you this question, nobody looking around. Do you know God loves you? He does. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever. I'm a whosoever, by the way. Tim's a whosoever. John's a whosoever. You are a whosoever. Whosoever believeth in him, not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's for all eternity. If you've never received Jesus, I'm not asking you if you know about him. Of course you know about him. I've been talking about him all day. But have you received him? Do you know that you know that you know that if you were to enter into eternity that you would be welcome into heaven or when you think of death and dying do question marks come up I don't care if you were raised in church you know sleeping in a garage don't make you a Chevy coming to church don't make you a Christian do you know nobody looking around but just me you and God and Bob if you're not sure that you're a Christian if you're not sure that you've received Jesus that you've accepted him, that he, you, you believe that he died for you, that he paid the price for your sin, that God forgives you, 
and now you are accepted as his child. If you're not sure of that, right where you are, you don't have to get up, do anything, just right where you are, just put your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm really not sure. I heard this before, and I've heard a lot of times, but, I, you know, I'm just really not sure. I don't care if you raise your hand a hundred times. If you're not sure right now, I don't want you going down the street and me getting a report that you had some head-on collision or something. So if you're not sure, hey, today is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're not sure that you're a child of God, I want you to just raise your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me because I'm not sure. Anybody here? Amen. 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 Anybody here? Now's not the time to be a wiener. It's time to be a winner. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Men, we've all been there. So if you're not sure today, you don't let the devil talk you out of it. While you're thinking about it, if you're here today and you feel like that you've just kind of wandered away from God, you feel like that you're just away from him, Your relationship is you're his child, okay? I, I got a son that's, uh, he's my son. Ain't nothing going to change that. But we're not close right now. We're not close right now. So maybe you're a child of God, but you're just not close to him right now. And he's saying, hey, come on. Let's get this thing straightened out. Come on, I got lots of more for you. Let's get this worked out. If that's you, just with nobody looking around, just to, the, to him, say, Lord, here I am. I, I'm coming home, man. I, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to draw close to you. I'm not asking you to join a church. or anything. I'm just asking you to tell him that you're ready to get a closer walk with him. People, we don't have time to be messing around. We really don't. This isn't some, hey, this isn't some scare tactic. This is true. If, it, if this isn't true, I don't want to be doing it. I, hey, there's other things I'd be doing on Sunday morning too. But you know what? I believe it. I know it. And he's saying, I need you. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And you know what? That's the first thing that he told his disciples. Was, hey, there's a harvest out here. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know what the last, his last words were? Go make disciples of all nations. He's all about getting people into the kingdom. And it's time we become kingdom-minded, not church-minded, not, not whatever-minded, you know, but kingdom-minded. We need to unload hell and load up heaven. Man, I need people to stand with me and, and pray and pray people out of hell. And I know you do too. Well, let's pray together. I don't know if you enjoyed our talk this morning, but I did. <laughs> I don't feel like I did a lot of preaching, but I feel like we did some talking. Father, you know our hearts today. They still got my phone number, God, so they can give me all these questions. Oh. <laughs> and I know you'll help me. But Father, we're just before you today. We're open. We can't hide anything from you. We can fool some of the people, as they say, 
fool some of the people some of the time, most of the people most of the time, but we can't fool you, God. You know us. You made us. And Lord, we just, we need to hear from you. You said if we would draw near to you, you would draw near to us. So we got to take that step, and that's what we're doing today. We're taking this step toward you. Lord, I believe there's people in here today that they're making a step to, toward you. Father, I believe we're going to see things we haven't seen before. Father, we're going to experience things we've never experienced before. And Lord, I'm excited about it because we're going to get out of the seats and get into the streets. We're going to be watching for that person next to us, whether it's Walmart or at the gas pump or at work or at school or whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be some flamboyant, hollering, shouting type thing. It's just simple. Hey, man. Do you know God loves you? And if that's where we get, Lord, help us to bring them to, into your house. You said bring them, go out in the highways and hedges, compel them to come in that your house will be full. Let them come to church. And God, church is different. Like Christian Center, it's your house. And, and people are going to get saved, going to get set free, and their marriages are going to get restored, and their kids are going to come back, and their health is going to turn around, and things are going to change, God, because I know you promised me that it was, that you're doing a new thing, that you're doing a new thing, and I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Hey, you can keep your head bowed, but I'm going to ask you a question. I just thought of this. What would happen? What do you think might happen if for the next two months, eight weeks, eight weeks, that ain't long, is it? Eight weeks. Not like a car payment for six years or something, but eight weeks. What would happen if over the next two months or eight weeks if, if you gave your best to God? If I gave my best to God? If we all gave our best to him. I mean, man, we, we started saying, you know what? Okay, I'm going I'm I'm to pray. I'm going to get to church. Hey, it's just eight weeks. What would happen? What would happen if we gave our finances to God for eight weeks? Eight weeks. What kind of church would this church be? If eight weeks... Everybody said, man, I'm, I'm going to give my best to God. Wow. Now, those things I told you that I'm looking for, that I'm believing going to see, I think they might just start happening because that's all it takes is when somebody says, God, I'm going to give you my best. He says, are you going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you my best. I'd like to see it just one time. If Jesus comes back, you know, at the end of that eight weeks, praise God. If he comes back before we get out of here, that's fine too. But I'd like to see just one time in my life if everybody would say, you know what? Okay, just, a, just that old preacher. <laughs> for eight weeks, I'll commit to eight weeks. I'm going to give my best for eight weeks. What if for eight weeks everybody said, you know what? I'm going to dedicate to prayer. We're going to have prayer here Tuesday night. Show up. Show up. Might begin to see God move. 
what would happen? What do you think would happen? I think it changes. I think something, I, I think by, before you could even get in the parking lot, things are going to start taking place. What would happen if, if for the next eight weeks, if each one of us would reach one, each one reach one? Remember when we were grabbing? I mean, we had six, eight people up here just like that. What would happen? Oh, man. Okay, LCC people have been here all the time. Y'all going to have to get up, let somebody else have your seat. There's plenty of wall room out there. Y'all just, that's right, we got more chairs. We'll bring them in. Wouldn't that be cool? Amen. What would happen if eight weeks, if, and maybe you didn't get the same person here all eight weeks, but hey, man, out of eight weeks, maybe you got at least eight people here or something, you know, hit and miss something, and somebody got saved, and one of them got saved. Wouldn't that be cool? Would it be worth it? Would it be worth that eight weeks? Just eight weeks. Just eight weeks. Man, I can, I can see the end of eight weeks. I mean, we've come, school's getting ready to start. We've already come through some eight weeks. I mean, eight weeks, it's like that. Do you think God would maybe stand up and say, okay, all right, all right, I'm watching. They're humbling themselves, praying, seeking my face, turning from their way. I want to hear from heaven, and you know what? I'm going to heal their land. I, I'm going to. I'm going to hear when they pray. I think that's enough to get me up out of my, my throne. I, I, you know what? I've got to go down here and see what's happening because it's been a long time since anybody ever committed like that. Eight weeks. I'm like, really? Eight weeks? Well, you commit to little league, whatever it is, for eight weeks. Right? Man, I challenge you. You say, I double-dog dare you to, to just try it. Huh? And if, some, if, if you don't like it better in eight weeks, you're no worse off. Right? You, I guarantee you, you'll change somebody's life, and it's liable to be yours. I guarantee it. If not, it'll change my life. I can, I'll tell you that for a fact. Well, we've got to get out of here. Come on, stand with me. If you have been here and... We don't, always, we don't make a big deal of membership, but we feel like we're a family. Yeah. And, and we feel like that God will let you know if you're feeling like you need to be part of this family. And so, real quick, I want to, so, you know, you might have been here three, I don't know when the last time we did this, but you might have been here three years and never had an opportunity. So, man, I'm, I'm part of this church. But uh, if you have never come up and said, you know what, I want to officially say, you know what, I'm part of Light Christian Center. Come up here as we close this thing out. Come on up and, and, uh, and we're going to... All right, Carrie.